spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Cajun Nation, Matt Miguez here. Welcome into another edition of Ragin' Review. Plenty to discuss tonight. We're going to dive deep into your offensive side of the football for the 2020 season. Man About Town is here with us as well. Matt, what's going on, man? Salud. And we are joined by a former Raging Cajun and current Louisiana color analyst for the for the radio broadcast, Chris Lano. Chris, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on. What's up, Kripa? So, you know, we we want to we want to start Chris with obviously the the news of you know the last couple of days here in in Lafayette and that is obviously the passing of assistant offensive line coach DJ Looney. It is it is agreed by everybody in this room that you knew DJ better than than either one of us. Talk about his impact to the program and you know kind of what he meant to to the Louisiana athletics as a whole. Well, you know, it's been several days since his passing on Saturday, and I understand there's been a lot of folks along the administration, uh, former players, current players that may be, that have come out along the radio airways and spoken already about DJ Looney. So I don't really know what else more I can add to the table of the kind of guy that he was, but I can only give you a few personal experiences of mine with DJ uh, as, as an assistant offensive line coach for the last couple of years. And that is whenever aboarding the airplane on a Friday and just kind of waiting to take off to our destination on a, on a Friday after the, the team has arrived, when watching DJ just pass by, you know, I would greet a lot of guys. I would greet a lot of players, a lot of coaches, those who I've had close relationships with. But DJ was one of those guys after I got to know him a little bit. When you greet him, before he would really utter a word out of his mouth, you start to smile and you start to chuckle a little bit because he has this persona about him that he was about to say something funny or he was about to joke with you. And that's who he was. He was very enlightening in that kind of way very jovial. You know, he, he, he was full of life. He had a lot of life, uh, carried a lot of excitement around him wherever he, wherever he was. And the room just tended to be a brighter spot whenever he was a part of it. And his smile, you know, was as radiant as ever. And, and that's one of the features that I'm going to miss most about a guy like DJ. I got to spend probably the most time with him at the Orlando Bowl, we played Tulane, that was in December. Just had, I, I got to have dinner with him a couple of times. And just an all-around, just an upstanding gentleman. And really, there's not a better way of putting it, just the fact of how much of a gentleman he was. He treated you as if he had known you all your life, and he treated the utmost respect. And I think this community, a community in which we got we got to be a part with him for, for several years because you look at his coaching rank or his coaching career, he had a lot of one-year stints. 
and he hopped around a lot of places, you know, year after year, but he finally gets to Lafayette. And I felt like to me, in his heart, he can really call this place home. And he was going on his third year, no telling how many more years he would have been a part of, but a guy definitely who was working his way up the coaching ring, had a lot of talent, had a lot of passion for what he did. And just, and I speak on behalf of just everybody else that he's going to be truly missed. Yeah, that, there's obviously no question um, about his, his impact to the program and that everybody that's affiliated with the program will will deeply miss him. You know, Chris, another thing that I wanted to bring up was the Sunbelt's decision to go to a full 12-game schedule. Are you surprised by that call? Do you think that call is going to change? Well, it's 2020, and based off you know, the roller coaster ride we've been through so far, beginning back in February, or March that is, you shouldn't really be surprised by anything. And still, there's a lot of signs in between from now until, I guess you would call it week zero, or perhaps maybe week one, whenever we decide to start opening week against whoever that is we may play. I'm not surprised that the Sun Belt would like to try to fill in all of our 12 weeks, but there's going to be a lot of chess, not, you know, all the checkers that are, are going to be played by our, by our scoot AD, Brian Maggard, uh, Dr. Brian Maggard, who I think has, has done a very good job. And he's got some opportunities now. You know, we, we just got the news just a few minutes ago about the Mountain West not starting any action until 926, I believe it is. So I guess you guys haven't really heard yet. But we just got that news a few minutes ago, which, which means ultimately that Wyoming is now off the table. Now, give Louisiana some options as far as trying to fill in that bullet. And that being said, you, know, you have the lockback opening on the 21st, but I think Dr. Brian Magner wants to try to keep that Wyoming home and home intact. So what could ultimately happen? I, I got to give Jay Walker credit for bringing this up just a few minutes ago. We were talking about this between him Myself, Cody Jr., and Craig Walsall is one of the things, one of the things to keep an eye on. This is something that he texted to all of us: is that both Louisiana and Georgia Southern they now have an open date on November 21st. Now, what we could conceivably move the game there, which would give us an opening on September 26th, which could be easier to fill, which could leave that void with like only. If we can keep that intact, we, we could try to convince Wyoming to come to play us in Safety Field on the 26th of September. You know, the, the only caveat is we would have to go back to back, back you know, both years at Georgia Southern. That's okay because we keep that home and home with Wyoming intact. Now, that's just a possibility. Now, we're speculating now, but you know what? It's fun to speculate at this time because. Nobody knows what the hell is going to go on at this point. Mm-hmm. But, so, I, I agree with the Sun Belt. You know, I agree with uh, Dr. Fields about and, and make an announcement that he wants all 12 games, all 12 slots to be filled. I don't think that's going to happen. You, you know, there's going to be too many teams with open slots 
this year with very little time to try to fill those voids. But I understand the urgency of it, of trying to fill them. Now, you know, another question I want to pose to you, talking about the Sunbelt Conference, are, are you surprised by their silence over the last couple of weeks, especially when it comes to the DJ Looney situation? I think the overall ineptitude of DJ Looney's passing in regard to being recognized by the Sunbelt Conference, I think it's just simply appalling. Well, it's just perfect. Really it, it, it's outrageous that that's what they do. I mean, this is the same conference that didn't show up for Arkansas State's championship to present them that trophy. So I'm not surprised. Crippa, sorry to cut you off there, but, I, you know, I can't be quiet about something like that. Yeah, no, it's appalling. It is. And, you know, I, I tend to, I don't. I don't really tend to spend too much time along social media, and in terms of, to me, it was more of like just an internal struggle with, with internal struggle with DJ Looney. I haven't really focused too much on the external factors of it. I think Jay Walker was the first to point it out of the lack of recognition in regards to the Sun Belt not recognizing it when you have all these other prominent figures along the NCAA landscape as in the Bruce Feldman with The Athletic. You have Holly Rowe, who's a very pronounced sports journalist, former ESPN employee. You have Jim Nagy, who was the senior bowl representative, and Ed Ogeron down the street, LSU head coach. All these figures coming out in support of DJ Looney, as well as the governor of Louisiana, and just all in recognition from other teams within the conference as well, and their official website and pages. So I think for the Sunbelt Commissioner to be a little bit absent, or not a little bit absent, completely absent in this manner, it, it, it's appalling. It's it's you know it, it's utterly disgraceful, and I, I just don't really have any stronger words with it besides just that. Yeah, obviously, you know, we, we all agree that it's you know classless, if you will, to to say that there has been silence. But it's historically fitting. I just want to add that part, that part because, look, it's the truth. Yeah, no, you mean you're, you're not wrong, you know, in, in any stretch of the imagination. Chris, you know, let's go ahead and dive into the offense now. Uh, you know, obviously starting with the front, Levi Lewis had a great year last year, first quarterback in Cajun's history to throw for 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, four interceptions. The question that I want to ask you is, your opinion of Levi Lewis at the beginning of last season and your opinion of Levi Lewis today, how different is it? Well, I remember going to the airways preseason of last year. I believe it was uh, August of 2018, and I had mentioned Levi Lewis as my dark horse to win the Sunbelt Conference off the first of the year. It's just something that I saw in spring. I, I saw it nurturing. I saw it blossoming during the spring when he got the, the, the majority of the snaps with really no competition behind him. I mean, he stood out above and beyond everybody else at the quarterback level. And it just raised, it's been, for me, along with myself and others, it raised, he raised a lot of eyebrows to what he can bring into the offense. Now, what's funny about Levi, literally, I mean, literally, I emphasize that word, from the opening snap all the way throughout the course of this season, he got better. And I say that because he had an interception on his rollout, on his bootleg rollout to his left, just trying to find his open hand down the field. 
against Mississippi State. I guess he had a little bit too much of the jitters in his opening start. Throws an interception from that point forward. He has blossomed into a quarterback that we can rely upon as someone to get us where we need to be in terms of an undefeated season, which is ultimately our goal. And that's not a far-fetched goal of this team because of how this team is just orchestrated and how much they are loaded along both sides of the football. Now, Levi Lewis, you know, I, I've made this comment several times before, if you were to put his performance along an XY graph, you know, he would show, in, you know, in terms of his production, just linearly, in, in a linear level, just, just improving each week by week, in some points, just exponentially. Series and, after and, series. And yeah. Yeah, series after series. And, and as the game would go along, he would just tend to figure it out. And I think one of the best, one of the biggest qualities of a guy like Levi is in between his ears, that his his ability to process and adapt pre-snap recognition along the defense of looking back to the sideline and communicating with the coaches and what they read in terms of the safety sets that they have, whether it be cover two, cover one, what kind of defense they're trying to run. I think because of his ability to recognize the defense, he's a very, he's book smart. He's got, he's in between the ears, and I think that really uh, bodes well into his overall success as a quarterback. Not just that, not just his athletic ability, but just in terms of his intangible. And I think with that, I think there's just great chemistry along with Billy Napier and Levi Lewis. I think I think Levi is Billy's kind of guy, although he is not, the kind, you know, he didn't recruit him. He, he was there basically uh, for the taking when he arrived on campus. But that's the kind of quarterback that he's looking to fill his position in terms of, of, of Coach Billy Napier, the kind of guy that he wants to, I, I guess, go go, uh, go out on each Saturday with to uh, run the offense. And that, that's the kind of makeup he's looking for the quarterback. So I think the sky's the limit going into this year for Levi Lewis. Uh, not only just uh, the, the good decision-making that he creates and that he makes uh, each play, but the accuracy his ability to escape the pocket. Uh, what the offensive line has learned is that you continue to keep the play going until you hear the whistle blow because of his ability to get out of tackles and get out of rushes. The play is always going to prolong, which allows these receivers to get wide open in the secondary. So with a guy like Levi Lewis, it extends the play Although you may have some sort of lack of athletic ability along the wide receiver position, which we don't by any means. We have a lot of talent on the wide receiver position, but because of that, because of a like by Lewis, it just makes it that much tough to guard our wide receivers because the play, it goes on and on and on for four-plus seconds in the secondary. And that, to me, that's just uncoverable. Chris, I have a follow-up to the Levi question. Uh, I think it speaks, first of all, I think it speaks to Napier and Levi, the kind of guys that they are, the men that they are, that they basically made each other better. Uh, I think that Napier had some, uh, I'm not going to say a steep learning curve, but he was still a first-year D1 college coach. And I think that he and Levi growing together, maybe it kind of brought them together a little bit more. But, you know, statistically, when you look at Levi, he's the best quarterback we've ever had statistically 
Uh, I think that, like you said, series after series, he continued to improve, continued to improve. Even his detractors, we'll call them detractors, uh, <laughs> even those guys that had their doubts kind of knew that the intangibles were there. We, we thought that if he would marry those intangibles with improvement, maturity on the field, not necessarily as a person, but on the field, and, and really start to, to perfect Billy's offense, we knew that he could be something, right? And look at the accolades, the preseason accolades. Have you ever seen anything like that at, at UL, USL, SLI? I don't think so. So that's exciting to think about. What do you have to say about that? In terms of the accolades, I haven't seen anything outside of Tyrell Fenderoy in that matter. But at the quarterback position, no, I haven't. It, 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 even the Mike Decimos of the world didn't receive the sort of preseason accolades as Levi Lewis, and they're all deserved. Sure. They're, and I think Levi, with zero hyperbole in this, you know, no exaggeration, I think he actually could very well be the best non-Power 5 quarterback out there today. It's something I didn't really touch up touch far on. And I made the comment to Matt before in the last several months, kind of going back and forth talking about the upcoming season. I think what I think Levi, his greatest asset when playing on the field, is his ability to continue to play and look downfield and not taking off and tucking the ball and running. When he knows he can do that, because on the field he's got tremendous athletic ability and speed and he can outrun a lot of defenders but he continues to look downfield because he wants to throw the ball down the field and I think that that can just happen to a lot of defenders because they don't know you know in the safety position do I need to come up into the box and offer help after the play breaks down or is he going to continue to look downfield what do I do so I think it's great it can create a lot of confusion for secondary players playing against Levi Lewis because just when you think he wants to tuck it and run, and we saw it against Mississippi State on that week one opening play. He could have tucked it and ran for about 11 yards to pick up the first down, but he was looking to throw the ball down the field and ultimately it led to an interception, unfortunately. But he did that all year long. Yeah, well, hell, we saw saw it the year before in relief of uh, Nunez when we were at App State. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Same thing. His ability to break down and roll off to his left when he found Elijah Mitchell down the corner on a uh, wheel route that was, which I think was our only lone touchdown, or maybe our, our second offensive touchdown of that game, you know, it was a Levi Lewis type of game. That's what you need to, to beat a team like Appalachian State. Right. So I, I think that's his greatest ability is the fact that he tries to continue to the play, he tries to prolong the play as long as he can until running the ball becomes his absolute last option. I agree, and I think that I don't know if people really understand how important of an attribute that that is. So many people either want to tuck it or they want to see who's going to level them, you know, coming from a linebacker or a defensive lineman position. So I think it's a huge uh, attribute that he possesses. I think it's probably his strongest. Uh, it's, it's, it's extremely exciting to see what's going to happen this year. Uh, real quick caveat, one of my all-time favorite memories of Cajun football is you and I jumping up and down the booth trying not to cuss uh, when, he, when he delivers the ball to Eli. <laughs> he breaks it. But anyway, another story for another pod. Uh, my follow-up to that would be... Which game, which game was that? App State on the road. App State on the road. Uh, okay, Two years ago. I remember 
that was your opening week with us. And I, I want to say you did a couple games or just that one game with us. That was the one on the road. Uh, that was the one. Okay. Yeah, I will never forget Jay glaring back at me. Uh, we'll call it lovingly, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, the follow-up to the question would be, that was that was good stuff. Yes, that was a whole lot of fun. You know, who drops the pick on the first the first Zach Thomas throw? Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yes, and you have to capitalize oh, on every God. opportunity against Appalachian State. And what's funny is we did that back to back year, and that was a point of emphasis that I tried to make going into last year against Appalachian State. When you have these opportunities to make a game changing play, at State. Nate, you have to capitalize upon them, or at State is not going to let you forget it. Yes, and, and I would argue that that was a would, season the changer. Iron, the, irony, the irony of that is the back years in 18 and 19, on the first possession, defensive possession, we had an opportunity for a pick six yes. on both possessions, and we couldn't capitalize. Yes, and I'm looking at you, Farad, in the bowl game. Or no, that was in the, uh, that was in the, S- the uh, SBC championship game. Anyway... We lose Nick Ralston, tons of tangible intangibles, great blocker, gets open. Uh, they ran all kind of gadget things for him. I know that Pierce Meagle is probably going to step into his role. Uh, we lose a Bam Jackson, who was the best blocking wide receiver, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what that guy did for our team last year. Leadership, uh, uh, just unflappable type of guy, type of player. Who steps up in the wide receiver core uh, in the tight ends, uh, even maybe an H back out of the backfield, who's going to be that that glue that that really helps Levi when he's in trouble or understands and that relationship really comes to to show on the field in 2020. No, you got to remember going into last year, we essentially did not really have a tight end. Right. So we got we got decimated at the tight end position, injury after injury, with Chase Rogers going down and transferring and then with Johnny Lumpkin going down early in the fall and the rest of this year. So we had to go more towards an H-back tight end hybrid in Nick Ralston. And Pierce Neagle, along with Hunter Bergeron, they did a solid job. They did a really good job of coming in and filling in the void, but we didn't have that true tight end to really go down the seam and stretch the field. So I think a guy who's very athletic, remember this name, Neil Johnson, who is going to be a true sophomore, uh, but I'm not sure exactly. I don't remember where he's from, but he was one of the signing, one of the signees in last year's class who played a little bit, who is now going to be a true sophomore going into this year. Neil Johnson, who I think is going to be potentially starting over a guy like Johnny Lumpkin, who is back from injury. Um, that's one guy to really keep an eye on. So we've got our true tight end back and form for this offense that we want to ultimately run and not only that you know, you're going to be able to count the ball a little bit better than even than what you did last year with just simply with the return of Vegas and Eliza Mitchell so I, I think overall you know it, it, it just it, it kind of cancels out in terms of what you were able to do with Nick Ralston I mean he was the ultimate gimmick last year where he lined up on the opposite side with the rollout just trying to sneak his way into the backfield he's did tend to figure that out as the season went along, but he was an incredible asset for us. Yes. Taking nothing away from a guy like Nick, Nick Lawson, a tremendous blocker down the field. And he was nasty. He was a ferocious player. Yes. Uh, but I, I think we are going to do just fine in terms of guys getting back healthier this year, along with the guy like Neil Johnson, who, get, who got that experience 
uh, as a true freshman and was able to be a part of the program in terms of strength conditioning for a full season. Now, you know, Chris, talking about talking about receivers, you know, I want to look at – I kind of want to talk about freshman receivers coming in and most notably Kyron Lacey. Does he, in, in your mind, does he make a kind of a, an immediate impact? What do you think his role is, you know, this coming season for the offense? You know, unlike the last couple seasons, I, I find this team going in is a very veteran uh, junior, senior, senior-laden team. So unlike last, the last couple of years, where they basically, you know, you, even last year you could still call it a new coach staff going into their second year, I think we developed, they've done a good job of developing players the last couple of seasons. I would not be surprised if you only see just a couple guys playing as true freshmen, none along the offensive side of the football. I would see maybe a couple guys along the defensive side, typically maybe one or two of those cornerbacks and safeties that we signed with just tremendous girth coming out of the school that I think can ultimately come out just along with their stature that they can compete on the Division One level. I don't see Lacey really have – I could be wrong. You know, look at, look at a guy like Peter LeBlanc who came in and just, I mean, shocked a lot of people. I mean, shocked just myself. And I've had many conversations with his dad about that. I think even his dad was surprised at how he was able to come out and perform the way he did. But no, and, and Chris, was, Chris, what was most incredible about the Peter LeBlanc thing last year was – the crucial situations in which they trusted him to catch a ball. I mean, they Levi went to him in, in critical situation after critical situation. That's what impressed me the most. I think because with Peter LeBlanc, the way his mindset is, his demeanor, he's got incredible amnesia. And I think the stage is not too big for him. It's just getting to know him a little bit personally. So I think the guy, just, he, he tends to block out all these uh, variables that may come across, whether it'll be like a like a big stage on the field against maybe a dominant Division One team. He, that, none of that seems to phase him. He just goes out there and plays, and maybe he doesn't even know who he's playing against. He just likes to play, just likes to play football. Awesome. No, I joke about that. But, no, Peter's a tremendous talent. And I was by far maybe the most surprised about about just him coming out and performing the way he did. I thought he was a for-sure redshirt kind of guy, mainly because the kind of wing-t offense that he played in high school the year before wasn't a guy that really called a lot of football because he was primarily a blocking wide receiver who never got the opportunity to run routes in the, in the backfield. So a, a guy like Peter LeBlanc definitely uh, stepped up last year. Then again, you look at guys like Jamal Bell, barring injury, who I think is still electrifying. It seemed like every time he touched the ball, he made things happen yes. along the wide receiver position. Super a guy like Jalen Williams, who I think is going to be our starter along the X position. And one thing about this receiving core with Jalen Williams, Peter LeBlanc, Brian Smith Jr., and Khalid Gossett, we're talking about third, man. You're talking about guys six three and over. Hey, I, I've never seen this before from a wide receiver core. So, I mean, you're talking about guys in a lot of in a lot of opportunities, but in a lot of positions where the ball could just be thrown up and just go up there and get it. You know, it, it, the fade route, you know, it deep into the red zone territory is going to be a big part of our game plan. And just guys who are just going to be out intimidating 
other defenders, typically along the football field. And Jamal Bell, really the only one looking on this roster that's going to get a significant amount of playing time from the wide receiver position at just maybe six feet or under in terms of height. I, I just, everybody else, you know, this is a very, very physical and just intimidating wide receiving core, a wide receiving class that I'm looking at playing this year in 2020. I'm excited to see them play. I really am. Same. And you mentioned Khalif Gossett. And I remember when he got here, his very first camp, he was thin. He was a toothpick. But he was lengthy and long. And I always thought, if this guy can go down to, you know, like the Supret and eat plate lunches for two years you know, put on 40, 40, 35, 40 pounds, he could body somebody. You know, it, it could be a jump ball situation, like you said, throw the back shoulder, whatever. But has do you know if he's put on some weight? The last time I saw him, he looked a bit bigger. Uh, but but I'm telling you, if he could be 205, 210, that guy could be lethal. Well, that's the unfortunate case in terms of what's going on this year. Nobody really has very much public knowledge about anybody because nobody has access. True. And in terms of the spring, where I was really looking forward to getting to see how some of these bodies have developed over time, particularly, and we're going we're gonna to get into this later, so I don't want to jump ahead, particularly in a guy like Osiris Torrance, but we're going to talk about him later on. I really wanted to see how these bodies developed over time, because I think a guy like Philippe Gossett, especially in the bowl game where he really stood out, I think he developed a lot of confidence last year in, in the 19 campaign, where it, he understands now, hopefully going into 2020, he is going to be more heavily relied upon as a wide receiver. So I think with that confidence brewing in the offseason, he really stepped up in the weight room and maybe put on a few more pounds and added more, I guess, uh, to that big brain that he has to offer. Does a, you know, from a player standpoint, former player standpoint, does a game like that give you, it, it doesn't matter, you know, what, if, if you're a sophomore that hasn't had a ton of playing time and whatever you know class you may be, does a game like that give you the confidence to put you over the edge mentally to where you kind of understand your role, but it, it allows you to come out of your shell and stop thinking and start playing? And specifically, a game late in the season, maybe the last game of the season, a bowl game, does that carry on into the offseason and do you think that that could propel him to be, you know, like you said, someone who is relied upon and expected to be relied upon in the offense going forward? It's a good question. I, I can only speak for myself in those terms. I think really momentum going into an offseason, I don't think that really sees as much to exist. And, you know, I have talked about it just with, with, with Gossett. I'm just hoping that it triggers him in some mental capacity. Sure. But – I don't think really, because if you look at the 2006 season for Louisiana, you're coming off a five-game winning streak after obliterating uh, Louisiana Monroe on the road, if you remember that, starting off the season one and five, finishing the season six and five. It didn't really do much more going into the beginning of the 2006 campaign, although it was in the belief we had all this momentum going in. I mean, there's, there's too much time involved. I think it's very important you have the right coaches and the right coach staff around you throughout that offseason process to keep you mentally focused and understand the task that is at hand for the year after, the next year coming in, and just understanding what's at stake. And, and, for, and really, you know, you've got to be able to develop 
practice some sort of self-motivation amongst yourself and just some sort of self-discipline that, hey, man, I, I, this, you know, this is big boy football here, and we have, we have an opportunity to do something really special with this team, you know, an opportunity to potentially go 12-0 and 0 and host a New Year's Six Bowl game. This is big boy football now we're playing in Louisiana Lafayette. I'm just yeah. telling you right now, this, this, this is a New Year's Six Bowl potential team you know, it absolutely effing sucks of what's going on with the coronavirus. You know, timing in life is everything. We'll get into that a little bit later on. It's but our luck. Timing... <laughs> Go ahead. I was just saying, it's our luck. You know, we joke amongst fans. It's it's the most USL thing yeah. of all time. That's what it is. No, I mean, listen, listen. Timing in life is everything, okay? Destiny can dictate something to happen. But when and how it happens, it's all a matter of time. You look at last year of going eleven and three. You lose two. You lose to two teams all year long. You lost to two teams. One of those teams was better. I give you that. I don't think Mississippi State by the end of the year was better. I will uh, succeed to Appalachian State. I think that they were better. Okay, Agreed. but that's what we're ultimately trying to get to. We're trying to get on their level, and I think this is the year. I said it last year. We were one recruiting class away, and it's not typically a recruiting class that was that needed to be signed. I'm talking about a recruiting class that was already signed up last year, but needed a year within the program. And those guys, that they're now here going into this year. That's why I believe this is the year. So. Talking about timing, after all the success that we've had last year, you know, you get those assholes up the road on I-10, you have the kind of magical season that they have, and it tends to just overlap and just cre- creates this shadow of all the success that, that happened over in Acadiana. It's just to where people just tend to forget of just what we were able to uh, accomplish within our own, I, I guess, challenges. So, but then again, it is what it is. I'm not going to crawl into a fetal position and whine about it. I can only control what's ahead of me. And what's ahead of me are these 12 games. Well, it was 12 games a few months ago. We don't know what's going to be slated in the weeks to come. But we can only control what's, what's set forth. And this team has an opportunity to have an undefeated season. And we'll ultimately see where it takes us. And wherever it will take us, hopefully we answer the bell. You know, it's a good point. I never thought about it like that. Maybe the football gods are actually shining down on us because, Instead you know, of screwing it, us. It, correct. I mean, you know, if you complete the 13 and 0 season, or well, at that point it would be 14 and 0, maybe it's so overshadowed that the impact that maybe this year where literally all of the country is. Can you imagine the NCAA football ratings this year once we kick off? It's going to be unbelievable. So you get a G5 representative in a New Year's Six Bowl. From down south, Louisiana, hey, maybe the grand plan is just fine. Hey, I'm looking at it wrong. You never know. You never know. You know, chatting with Chris Lano, color analyst for Raging Cajun Football Broadcast. Chris, let's transition. Let's talk about the running back group. Um, you know, obviously losing the speedy, electrifying back in Raymond Calais to the draft. You you have a, you know, in my opinion, a perfect replacement in Chris Smith Jr. How seamless is that transition plugging Chris Smith Jr. 
into that hole that, that Kyle filled for so many years for, for the Cajuns? Well, I can, sh- I can share with you a little personal story going back to Orlando in 2018. I, I was hanging out. It was late at night, at, and, and I think it was a few days. might have been a couple days away from game day, and I was hanging out with one of my former colleagues and Michael Bezimo. We were talking um, along the, uh, the riverfront, which was uh, where we coasted, where we got to be coasted uh, uh, from the hotel. Uh, but anyways... And this kid just runs along. He was looking for shoes. Or he was looking for his shoes. And I forgot what exactly what he was trying to do. But I remember, I remember just watching, just kind of scatter along where we were. And I, I look at Mike and said, Mike, who is that kid? And he looks at me and says, that's Chris Smith. And I'm going to leave it there, what else he said after that. But just understand, because it was very personal what he told me after, but just understand this kid is the real deal. You know, he basically, you know, said something about him replacing Raymond Colley in a couple of years and just kind of watch out for this kid. And I don't think by any means Mike was over-exaggerating at that point. I just don't think this offense is going to miss a beat without Raymond Colley. And that's not an indictment on Raymond Colley. Raymond Colley, you know, his draft status speaks for itself. The guy was drafted in the sixth round. Anytime you get drafted as a running back, you know, in these days where the running back class is so watered down, that is a true testament to how good you were in college because these NFL teams are typically trying to look in the undrafted status of other of other guys. Hey, man, I could, no, no point of me picking up a running back in the sixth, seventh round. I could find this guy. I could find another guy like him in an undrafted pool and just tell my boy, I'm, I'm going to try to find a guy that made a lot of tackles on special teams. But no, they went out and they got Raymond College. So it just speaks volumes to what the kind of guy he was in college. You know, he was incredible. But, you know, if you look at the likes of Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis coming back and Chris Smith, you know, I'm looking at it right now, 32 attempts to 336 yards, that leaves an average of over 10 yards per carry. But the glaring stat is four touchdowns. So the guy literally rushed for a touchdown every eight carries. You know, so this – I mean, he is, he is, I think, just an ultimate lightning rod by, which, by the likes of which we have seen from a Raymond Kale possibly even more, which is, I, I think he brings more football speed on the field than Raymond Kale. I think he was the fastest guy on our team last year. So I don't think, I, I think this running back class is, is going to be the best ever in, in Louisiana history. I, I, it's going to be even better than it was a year ago. Even with a guy like P.J. Wisham uh, coming back and being able to provide a little bit uh, from the running back position as well. Uh, just, you know, those guys, I mean, it, it, and, 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 and you're not necessarily relying on one guy to answer the bell. They're going to be able to spread the ball evenly and keep the guy stretched going in and out. And each guy brings a, a different sort of dynamic to this offense. So you look at this class and Mitchell, Regis, and Chris Smith, along with Wisham and others, uh, I just, this class, it, it's scary and it's not going to miss a beat. One thing I love about Wisham is he brings that work force, work ethic that, you know, kind of Kyle, Kyle was like that. He had to continue to improve his entire time here. Uh, well, he's got a military background, I believe. Is I, that correct? I, I think that's correct. And it, it, he, he carries himself that way. I love that about him. 
And you have a yeah. guy like that that's number four in your depth chart. I mean, my gosh, that guy could probably start it eight out of the other ten football playing schools, and that's that's not hyperbole. Uh, one thing I'll also say about Mike Dez, he tends to undersell rather than oversell, so I think Chris Smith is the real deal. Uh, one thing I'll ask you is Ray did so many things for this team. Um, do you think it's going to be more of a task to replace his home run threat in the offense or his quick strike ability on special teams? Because I know the guy didn't return 10 touchdowns for, uh, or I'm sorry, 10 kickoffs or punt returns for touchdowns, but he was a threat every time he touched the ball. It was well known throughout the league. I know, you know, everybody who was watching knew the guy was a problem. So what's a, what's the bigger replacement? Well, I will, many would argue with you is the fact that you look at, and, and, and stop me if I'm not answering this correctly. I, I think I understood the question. But Chris Smith last year had a lot of one-hit strikes from the offensive side of the football. You give the ball to him one time, he scored. I think he did that twice all of last year. which is Yeah, well, I, yeah I think two times is, is the correct number. And that is a lot for a guy who only got 32 attempts. But twice along this along the Louisiana side of the football field was able to take it to the house. One, I remember in Coastal Carolina where we were just trying to run the ball out and run the clock out, and he just takes it 60 yards plus down the field for a score, and the game just continues. So, I, I, again, I, I don't think really what he brings to the table, you know, you're going to see almost the exact sort of replica as you saw in Raymond Calais last year. Uh, Chris Smith, I mean, it, 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 again, it's unfortunate I was not able to study him in the spring. You know, in terms of a lot of guys who really want to go out there and scout and see what the team is going to be like without Raymond Collet. But it is what it is. And I think a guy like Chris Smith really gets away from hard and maybe added a few more pounds of ball as well as maintaining his speed. I, I think you're going to see a lot of the same in terms of the type of uh, schemes that Billy Napier is going to line him up with you know, particularly on lining up on the hash marks and trying to get him along the wide side of the field to use his speed to outrun defenders, something that we typically saw a lot with Raymond Calais. Yeah, Chris, we're, we're, we're talking about young guys making a big impact. Freshman or a transfer that makes the most immediate impact? Well, I mean, I think one guy that we to make talk about a little bit is you know you look along the offensive line I think a guy like Zach Robinson from Arizona State the big 6'6 336 pounder who transferred into this program I, I see him potentially starting along that left tackle position where you're going to see a little bit of shuffle along that offensive line with a guy who's very reliable at the tackle position where, where I believe and I could be wrong I'm only speculating at this point but you look at 2019's demise and almost comes as 2020's fortune along the offensive line where you lose the likes of Kick Clark and Cole Pruder, but you get them coming back this year as a medical redshirt. So you have Zach Robinson. It's just my, this is Chris Lionel's projection. I mean, I've got no insight on this. This is just me purely speculating on what I think is going to happen week one. So Zach Robinson along left back position. You're going to have Ken Mark playing his usual left guard position as we saw last year going in. You're going to have Cole Prudham back at center with a very reliable Shane Vallow backing him up that we saw play all of last year and done a really good job. 
Osiris Torrance is going to be moved from that left guard position to the right guard position, along with Max Mitchell, who I think all around is the best offensive lineman we have, protecting the blind side of Levi Lewis. So with the insertion of Zach Robinson, it basically keeps everybody else intact. And we saw Max Mitchell play a lot once Robert Buck went down. I think it was more so of a showcase of what we're going to see going into the 2020 year of where he was going to play. Max Mitchell, just watch out for that name. That's, that's another big name to look out for in a couple of years in terms of the NFL draft. I think it's very real type of tackle in this, in this league. Yeah, Chris, you know, talking about Max Mitchell and the impact that he that he can make on this on this offense, um, you know, if if we could piece together, you know, the the starting eleven for twenty twenty, obviously, you know, Levi Lewis is going to be your quarterback. At running back, you're going to have the three headed monster again with Regis Mitchell and Chris Smith. Receivers, you know, Peter LeBlanc, Jamal Bell possibly Jalen Williams, and then stepping in with guys like Kyron Lacey, so on and so forth. But like, like we were talking about, mainly that offensive line. So let, let, me, let me recap what you had. You said Max Mitchell, Osiris Torrance, Cole Prudham back at center, Zach Robertson, and Ken Marks? That is correct. Ken Marks playing the left guard position, Zach Robertson playing the left tackle position. You were basically naming from right to left, right tackle all the way down the line to kind of switch up the left team. Okay, so, yeah. And, I mean, and again, that, that, that's just my projection. Again, I have no inside knowledge on this. What I believe we're going to see opening week, we'll know more information when fall camp uh, starts. But as you know, I don't think there's going to be much participation on outside team in fall camp due to the – you know, due to unusual circumstances that we're going through with the virus. Right. So looking at this offense, in your opinion, is it is it more of a rebuild or is it more of just a reload with new faces? No, I think it's definitely just a reload because although you lose guys like Kevin Dotson and Robert Hunt along the right tackle and right guard, and as great as they were, and I think it's going to be the best tandem of offensive linemen in the history of this program, and that's just a testament to how great they were. No doubt. You know, it has nothing to do with how I foresee the recruiting going on with this program. You just, you just can't get better at that, and you can't necessarily replace them. But what you can do is you can try to recreate them through the aggregate. And by doing that all across the board, you shuffle a few guys, and you try to get a little bit better everywhere else. So Max Mitchell, as great as he was, he may not be as good as Robert Hunt at the right tackle position, but you move him to the right tackle position and you have uh, very valuable guys filling in in other positions. I think as a whole, when you calculate it as a whole, we become just as good, if not even better, because I just I think, you know, with the, with the maturity factor of an Osiris Torrance, who I think has the ability to maybe be the best ever at the guard position, as good as he looks to be. I mean, this guy, I remember when he signed with Louisiana, you know, Mike Desimo and others were basically telling me that they were doing cartwheels because they knew how big of a signing it was to get that guy on board. And it really showed, it paid dividends when Ken Marks went down, him being able to come in and answer the belt. But with his maturity, 
to the way he nurtured throughout the course of the 2019 campaign. And I can't wait to see how his body transformed. Hopefully, he was able to shed about 25 pounds. I mean, it was very doable. And he had a big body. He was carrying a lot of baby fat with him last year. I don't think his body was physically ready to go up against the likes of an app state. You look at that app state game, I'm kind of getting a little carried away now, but you look at that app state game in the conference championship game, they were really zoning in on Osiris Sports because they knew, even as great as he was, and potentially as he can be in the years to come, he was the weakest link along the offensive line just due to the lack of uh, experience along that offensive line. And there were two critical plays that caused game-changing plays that get created fumbles along our offense and, and another critical play as well. So, but with an, an entire offseason with Mark Hockey in strength conditioning, I think Osiris Torrance was able to maybe shed a few pounds, you know, going along with just his intangibles into the offseason. He's going to be better than he was, tremendously better than he was last year. And in a few years to come, he's just going to be all world. I agree with your take on Osiris Torrance. He was pushed around not because he lacked ability. Uh, he, right. he lacked some technique, and I think he lacked experience, and that's true. And not to mention he was going up against the league's best, and, and it showed when he did that. Uh, I did want to ask, where do you see Cole Pruden fitting into this deal? Because, you know, for a while there, we were really high on Cole, and not to say that he isn't, you know, any good or anything, but is he going to be a backup center or a fill-in? Do you think they'll move him to guard? Uh, where does he play? Well, I, I think Cole is going to go back to his center position. I mean, it's just what I think. I could be wrong. But there is a spot for Cole Prudham along the offensive line. He's just too good. No doubt. You know, it, 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 it was a big loss for us going into the spring. Now, what was fortunate about Cole Prudham's injury, you never really consider any kind of injury uh, any sort of fortunate news. But what was good about that is because it happened so early, it allowed a guy like Shane Ballard to mold into that position and develop a lot of chemistry with Levi Lewis along with the other offensive linemen. Now, if that injury would have in late in the fall camp, you know, we could be having a completely different picture in terms of his ability to really answer that bell at the center position. But because it happened early, I think things they were able to work out the kinks early on. So that was fortunate in that sense. But I think Ballow, as good as well as he played last year, I think he's a very reliable backup center for Cole Prudham. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I Shane Ballow, he earned his scholarship, and he did what he had to do in terms of what his role was on this team. And I'm not saying it's over. He is going to play again. He is going to have that opportunity, in my opinion. He could be the next man up along the offensive line. But you look at this offensive line, I think there are a lot of potential. I think the depth along this offensive line with Luke Junkett and Spencer Gardner and others you know, we got a lot of big bodies that can really fill out any void along and off the line. And that's what's promising to see. I, I look at a guy like Shane Barrow that's going to back up only Cole Prudham at the center position because it's so critical to have that chemistry along with your center and your quarterback and having the ability to call out plays and read defenses along that center position. So that's his role, in my opinion, going into this year. And I, so I think Cole, in that matter, 
is going to be the starting center because he is a starter. He is one of the best amongst the league. And Shane Ballow, with the experience he gained last year, he's going to be very relied upon if something were to happen, God forbid, to Cole throughout the season. And we'd be in good hands. He proved that last year with, with little experience. And uh, the reason for the question is because I think that it's difficult to understand how deep we actually are across the offensive line. It's, it's uh, I mean, really, it's an embarrassment of riches. Uh, switching gears a little bit, and I know you kind of touched on it at the beginning of the show. Uh, I know that it's so fluid with Maggard and trying to schedule and you know, Wyoming, to me, is still a game you have to play. If they're willing to move around and get their schedule in line with ours and play the game, you got to play it. Uh, if not, if it's just not workable. You know, Tech is open on November the 21st. And how fun would that be? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. Uh, you know, we're going to see Dr. Matt is ability to kind of work his magic in terms of scheduling. I think, um, you know, we have a professional AD running the show back in Daxville. So I, I think it will work out when, uh, when it's all said and done. I think this is the area of expertise for a guy like Dr. Brian Nagger. He has a plan in place and along with his plan, if it doesn't work out, he's got a backup. Plan. So I know he's working across the board right now. He's probably working, uh, as we speak at this, uh, point in time so he's a busy man he's gonna figure it out i know he wants to keep that home and home intact with wyoming yes uh we'll see what latex decides to do i, I don't and you guys could probably speak to this uh matter better than i can i don't believe they have the ability to have any home games due, due to the construction through the uh destruction of last year's tornado hit or do they have a home start I, I i don't know i understand that they found a location am i wrong on that matt uh, I read that uh, in whatever their paper's called up there. I forget what it is. But anyway, I think they have a location to play their games. But uh, I'm more concerned about, and like you said, I always look at leadership and what relationships they have. Now, Tommy McClellan, I don't have much use for the guy. I think he's kind of a jerk and some other four-letter words that I can't really say right now. But Brian is a professional, and I'm sure that he has some sort of a working relationship with the man. Uh do you have any knowledge of their relationship, or is that kind of just something that's up in the air? I don't. I, I don't. I can't really speak of the matter at this point. I don't. Uh, like, all these details are coming into fruition as we speak. Everyday chance. Uh, in terms, I haven't really heard anything. All I really know is a few hours ago before we started this conversation, the Mountain West came out with a report that they were not going to begin play I believe the date was, I have to go back and look at it, is, um, the 26th, is, I believe. Uh, is, is, is August, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, September, September 26th. Yeah. September 26th, that is correct. So Wyoming at this point is out in terms of September 12th, but we'd like to, you have the ability to move even conference games around it sorts out in terms of where you play home and away if you haven't opened. So that's why it leaves the ability to maybe go back to play at Georgia Southern on November 21st, which would give us an opening on September 26th, which could ultimately bring Wyoming to Cajun Field to keep that home and home intact. That's just a possibility. 
Sure. But we'll see in the weeks to come, and I'll be sure to keep you guys updated. And you've got to play that if at all possible. And another thing about, you know, like, for example, App State lost Wake. It just came out earlier this afternoon that Wake is going to go ahead and push that series ahead a year. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about this on last week's episode. If the G5 representative is going to come from the Sun Belt, you got to find some out-of-conference wins that you can put on the resume. So I said last week that App still being able to retain Wake was big for the league because if they were able to hang tight or even win, you know, that would look good on us, especially if we went and ran the table. Now, you know, things are getting a little bit more muddy as they seem to continue to do every week. you got to play Wyoming if you can. If not, and I know Brian is fully aware of this, we have to go out and find an out-of-conference game that's going to look good on the resume. Uh, I know you know that. I know that's not any kind of secret. But uh, in, in terms of representing the G5 in the New Year's Six Day Bowl, uh, things are starting to get a little squirrely with that because, in my opinion, Wake was a really good out-of-conference game for App State. I thought they could win that game. I thought that they could at least compete. And then, you know, when we go up there uh, October the 7th, we knock them off, and it looks good. You know, it looks good on the resume. So I'm, I'm just a little concerned about the out-of-conference uh, resume. You know, I, I think it's going to play a big part in who represents the G5. Let me add to what you're saying. You're making a lot of sense, but I'll add to that. You know, Dr. Magri, he's a smart man, and he understands exactly what's at stake for this season yes. in terms of the ability of this team to fulfill what they are trying to do on the field in terms of going undefeated. So not only just that, of this team potentially having the best team in the, in the entire existence of this program, but he understands, you know, the whole mantra of leaving in terms of a head coach. You have to take the opportunity when the iron is hot. And what I mean by that is you look at a guy like Billy Napier who is moving up the ranks this year, and you're going to have bigger opportunities across the college landscape that's going to be their opening for him to potentially take. You know, he, I think he waited a year, but he also, you know, it was very, you know, calculating of the fact that he knows the team that he has coming back this year where that iron is going to remain this very torch-like hot for one more season. He understands that. So you have to capitalize on what could be a very magical year this year. You know, the, you don't really want to talk about this, but we all know it's the it's potential of having Billy Napier for only one more season. And unlike of a Levi Lewis, who is a senior, for only one more year. Trey Regas and Elijah Mitchell, maybe the greatest senior tandem running back uh, class in uh, this program's history, for one more year. So we understand what's at stake this year. So I, I guarantee you, Dr. Brian Maggard is working tirelessly to try to figure out what kind of product can I put on the field to play against this team that I have to line up each Saturday that can really put on a show for these fans because I'm not going to get opportunity again. You know, it, it, who, I mean, who knows? We, we don't know that. So, we, he understands what's at stake, so I, I think you know he is working his magic behind the scenes of just trying to fill those voids with the best potential uh, in, in terms of competition 
that if he can play, uh, he can have to build off our resume for a potential New Year's Six Bowl game if the New Year's Six just tends to even host any bowl games. Well, that's another factor we're looking to as the season progresses. Kripa, tell me if I'm being hyperbolic, and I won't be offended, but this is the type of season. And look, I'm not getting ahead of myself. I mean, this is legitimately on the table. This is the kind of season that makes a career for a Billy Napier, that makes a career for a Brian Maggard, that makes a career for an entire slate of assistants that was a part of something like this. I mean, look at UCF. Look at all these guys that have splintered across the country and have, have been parts of huge successes all over the place. This is the kind of year that you capitalize on as a professional coach. No, you're not being hyperbolic whatsoever because you look at the accolades of this team going forward. You know, you look at the depth that is returning. You know, it, it, it's right there in for the making. I mean, listen, what, what, here's proof. Okay, when I came in and I did radio for my first year in 2018, I stood on the airwaves with Scott Craver. This team looks like a 5-17. and 17. You know, I, I, I think we're going to go 5-7. and seven. You know, with this new coaching staff, we're going to build going into the next year. And we'll see what next year is like. Well, we wound up going, what was it? Uh, seven and five, I believe it was. We went seven and five. We lost the conference championship team to Appalachian State. So they fulfilled my expectation. We won a few more games, and I expected that team to win. The next year, last year, going in, you know, some people may have laughed, but I remember telling Scott Fraser, I see this team as a 10 and 2 team. I, I can maybe see us losing to uh, Mississippi State week one, but what was laughable. I didn't have us losing to Appalachia State uh, as the second game. I had us going into a trap game on the road during the week against Coastal Carolina. I know you can look back at that and laugh at that with the shellacking that we put in Coastal. But I'm just looking at the schedule, and I'm just trying to figure out, you know, because you always have that one game where you just cannot quite get up for. And I was a little bit worried previewing the schedule that was going to be our one Debbie Downer. So I projected this team to go 10-2, and and I told my buddies out there, go to a sports book, bet the mortgage on over five and a half, okay? Okay, get get the, you know, pay out the dividends, enjoy Christmas, and thank you later. And a lot of guys did that. They did do that, okay? And if you didn't do that. may or may not have been one of those guys. Yeah, and if you didn't do that, shame on you. Totally legal. It was the easiest bet on the board. I mean, it was it was one of the dumbest over under plays. I, I mean, look, when I, I get too much into it. it you can't, but okay, but you got to go by the algorithm. Okay, Absolutely. if you look at the history of this team, you can understand five and a half might have been the correct number for those who don't have any inside of the program. For me, I was watching this team in the spring. I saw the talent. And I just, I was mind blown of what was going to be put on the field Saturday, week in and week out. I knew this team was special. And I remember arguing with Cody Juno, my broadcast partner, about it. He kept trying to tell me, man, look, look we got a tough schedule. Look, we got to play here. I play here. But Cody, have you seen this team yet? Do you know what Levi Lewis is going to be bringing to the table uh, for this offense, who is going to be almost unstoppable? And it only took a couple of weeks to convince him, but. I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm, you're not going back. Uh, let me prep again. Let me go back to what you started off with saying. You're not being hyperbolic at all whatsoever. It, it was in the making for this year for what this team to have this Boise State-like season, potentially, potentially. And 
hopefully it's not just completely thrown out the window. Hopefully we have a full season. We'll see going forward, though. But you're not over-exaggerating the potential of this squad going into 2020. Not at all one bit. So, Chris, while we're somewhat on the topic of over-unders, and do not quote me, I do not remember what website I was looking at the other day, (laughs) but I saw a 2020 over-under sheet, and they had Louisiana at 7. You taking that can't be right. Or can't, can't the, the, no, is that women's basketball? That's not, that's not right. That, well, you know, that, with the cancellation of some games, I don't know if that was uh, reconfigured into that number, but I, I saw a line. I remember looking back a while back, and it was somewhere around 10 and a half. I, I'm not sure if you may have misinterpreted that. I, I don't think the I over mean, that, under that. <laughs> Hey, yeah, it, this, this because is, I remember I remember looking at it. It was somewhere around the, the mark of ten. It's nine and a half. Even ten or ten and a half. It's nine just, and a half. You know, I advise everybody to take the take, over. Take the over. It's nine and a half. And listen, here's a pro tip for all you guys out there, you degenerate bastards out there. You can make the most money in the freaking G5. I've been telling you all this for fifteen freaking years. Bet Kusa, bet AAC, bet the Sun Belt. You will make money. You can pay your bills on these bets. They're so bad. Nobody does their homework on these leagues. I'll just leave it at that because I don't want to be the bully. No, <laughs> that's good. Hey, that's good. not able to spend Christmas dinner with their family. <laughs> you know, they were listening to Chris Lino back on the, the Razor Review back in uh, August, and they told me to do this, and for that, I have so much animosity toward the owl. I'll stay out of that one. <laughs> hey, you can put it back all on me. I'll cash the ticket. There you guarantee. Go. There all right, go. Chris, one more final topic before we get out of here. You know, looking at the 2020 season, looking at the COVID-19 pandemic that we all seem to be facing right now, how important from a financial standpoint for not only our program, but every small, every G5 program in the country, how important is it to have a 2020 football season? Well, I mean, it's, it's important for a lot of different factors. And, you know, it's something that I really got to thinking about a lot lately. You know, what are the risks, if not in terms of just economically, you know, the economic impact with, with the city, with the town, or just within the athletic budget if you don't have a season? And you got to understand, you got to start from the roots and really understand how college athletics work. Okay, so football and men's basketball are really the only sports that create revenue, okay, by and large. Okay, now you have these exceptions across the land. You know, people may argue, oh, you got UConn with basketball, you know, you got Tennessee women's basketball. Duke lacrosse, I don't think Duke lacrosse generates any revenue. So you, you have these little exceptions. You know, you have a handful of them out there. But by and large, football and men's basketball are the only sports that create any sort of revenue. But every other sport, they lose money, ultimately. Even college baseball here in Louisiana, as big as the Rage of Cages are to their fans, they don't generate any any profit. It's you know, a break-even sport. Work. That's right. It's a break, it's a break-even sport at best, if that. Okay? So, you know, this is an educational institution, which means through basically football and men's basketball, we allow other sports to exist. 
and it's primarily through Title IX, and so by providing scholarship opportunities. So, and this is all done through the funding of just two sports, okay? That's football and basketball for us. And, and I may be over-exaggerating men's basketball. We may not, at least as of late, generate any revenue. Okay, so... Yeah, that's true. It, Typically, it is the number two generating sport, but... And it this is, is not this but, is not specific to just Louisiana basketball. The Sun Belt right. as a whole doesn't really turn out that much money in the last but 15 as years. But as a whole across... Uh, as a whole across college athletics, right. it's those two sports. That's it. So you take away football and all other sports associated with a Louisiana athletics, they would not cease to exist because under federal law, you know, Title IX would exist. It states that equal a number equal number of scholarship opportunities are provided under an academic institution. So to get a clear picture. It is pegged to the overall enrollment rate of universities. So the point that I'm trying to make is, without football, you know, it allows these other sports to fund, you know, across our athletic budget, whether that be women's basketball, women's volleyball, uh, men's golf, uh, track and field. So you have to have football in order to exist in order to retain any sort of athletic budget. And uh, so Cody and I were, were talking about this the other day, you know, having football in the spring. I don't think the spring is really a plausible idea and for many reasons. But whether or not we're going to have a season, I think there's just too much. You know, you look at a cost-benefit analysis. You know, is it worth the risk? You know, and by and large, my argument is, Young college athletes, typically in through, from 18 to 22 years old, you know, they are relatively safe with this virus. You know, they are not necessarily affected if you look at the data. And when you look at football players, college football players, they are amongst the healthiest of that age group, of that age demographic across the land. So when you are healthy and you are young, you can fight off this virus. I'm not saying you're not going to get sick. You know, not everyone is immune to it, regardless of your health, but you can have the antibodies. Uh, well, especially the most fit among us, right? Say it again? Uh, especially the most fit among us. I mean, these boys are fit. It's with, with, with the nutrition they have, with the care that they have, with, with the regimen that they have, this is the most fit bunch among us. And listen, even the offensive linemen, you may think they look big and sloppy on the field, but look, I played with offensive linemen in the rec center when I was playing ball. One guy in particular, I'm going to name drop, Timmy Salter. I mean, this guy looked like a sloppy offensive lineman, but very skilled, a good player for us. He was one of the most endurance basketball players that, that we got to hang around with. So regardless of what you may look like, these guys are fit. Okay. Yeah. And that being said, if you're young and you're healthy, you are almost immune to this virus. Okay. The data supports that. It backs that up. So that's why I think it's ridiculous. We don't even entertain the idea of not having a football season to begin with because of all that, the risks that take place in terms of other athletics or maybe just at a, at a university in terms of athletic budget as a whole of all that it accounts for. Uh, so, you know, for that reason alone, it's so important to have the football season. We are going to have football season, in my opinion. It's the question of matter of 
how many games we are going to play and those with opening dates, if we will have enough time to fill those voids, I think those are the underlying questions, and we'll soon have more of those questions answered in the days of Trump. Yeah, no, no question about it. Josh, before we, before we get out, you had some, some thoughts on DJ Looney. Yes, well, what I would say is that I think we will complete our season. I think it's going to be a hodgepodge. I think we're going to learn from Major League Baseball, and I think we're going to learn from all these other sports that have started up, and I think we're going to have a season. And I think that uh, I think we'll successfully complete it. I think we'll have our bowls and our playoffs. And look, football is important in America. I, you can say it's irrelevant. You can say it's just a game, but here's the the bottom line is it supports a whole lot of jobs. Uh, it puts a lot of people uh, in in uh, well, it puts food on the on the table for lots of people. And a whole lot of people care about it. It's a big deal. So I think we play ball. But, uh, Chris, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'd like to make a few closing comments on DJ. Let me add add to what you just said. Okay. Because it's very important what you said. With the football, what's the funny thing about sports, it also creates a little bit of normalcy around a household. And it it also incentivizes. You know, we're talking about people staying home, social distancing. When you have Sports, especially college football, it incentivizes others to stay home within a household and watch the game. So I think it can also create the domino effect across the land of people being more responsible, staying home with your loved ones, enjoying a football game, while you have these young college athletes who I think are basically immune to the virus. Uh, in terms of death rate, you know, you're not seeing a whole, not, not, very rarely any death. Almost, that's why you hear people say, you know, the flu is more dangerous than the virus. In terms of that age demographic, you can make that strong argument. Right. So I understand that. So I think for that case, in terms of just creating some sort of normalcy among people in America, I think for that reason alone, it's very important to have college football. On that note, I'm going to start firing off some emails to old JBE. That is a spectacular argument. Keep people in their homes by letting them watch collegiate sports. I love it. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's a solid solid idea from Crippa, for sure. Crippa just saved collegiate sports. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, Chris, I'm going to ask you this last question. uh, Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm I'm just trying to solve everybody's problems. Just trying to solve, solve America's problems, man. Uh, where do you see the Cajuns stubbing their toe, if they will, in this conference schedule? Oh, well, it's interesting. I, I need to know what the schedule is going to be like because a big part of scheduling, when I, try, when I tend to look at schedules, I look at these sandwich games of having to go on the road. Yeah, circumstances. Short week to week later, and all that changes. So, I mean, I, I think at Georgia State could be a little tricky in an environment that we aren't used to, especially these players. I don't think they played in Atlanta before, these players in particular. Uh, Appalachian State being on the road, that's been like a second home to me the last couple of years. And we haven't like buy before, right? Yeah, so. I, I feel like I've been to Appalachian State. Uh, I've lived there as, as long as the actual residents in Appalachian State. So. I don't think that's going to face the players very much at all whatsoever. At Texas State, that's just a road trip down the road. Arkansas State, I think you lose those two big wide receivers. I don't think they're going to be able to keep up offensively with Louisiana. Um, I mean, 
and Missouri. Obviously, that's off the board. You know, with the SEC, we'll see how Dr. McIntyre can fill that thought. And ULM, we can always make the argument at the end of the year, but we can always got stuff riding on the I already already have my cigars lit for that son of a bitch. But let me be honest with you about this game, because you've got to look at it. You have to weigh in the actual, you know, what's at stake now. So is it a game on the road, November 28th or Saturday? Is it going to be one of those games where we have to travel the morning of due to... The, uh, uh, the, I guess, the lack of, sanit- the, of sanitizing of residents or just hotels. You know, is there an outbreak at that point where we could yeah. have players missing? Uh, where do we learn throughout the course of the season that staying hotels, staying in hotels is not the answer? You know, because we tend to spread the virus more so. So I, I think w- along with the year, as it progresses, we're going to learn more about how this football team, as well as other teams, cope with this type of situation. But one thing that I'm thinking about when you play November 28th at the end of the year, as we turn to learn more about how this year is unfolding, will teams start to become mandated on leaving the morning up as long as it's within a three- or four-hour drive? I mean, that, that, that's something to think about, guys. I know sure. a lot of y'all have probably thought about that. But that can also play an effect to how we uh, perform on the field with a three or four hour drive on the road on a Saturday morning. So I tend to look at those factors. You know, you have a rival game on the road. Let's just say worst case scenario, you got to travel Saturday morning, which sucks. But you yeah, know, you're, you're, ULM, you're talking about the human that, element, so of course that matters. And here's another thing to think yeah. about: November twenty one is now essentially an open date. Who, if we fill the game with, say, uh, Tech, who we're all hoping for, we're all hoping for. I mean, maybe there's an emotional hangover. It's a rivalry. We're trying to we're trying to facilitate a rivalry. Maybe the players start to buy into that. Maybe we fill it. We backfill that game with an even more uh, formidable opponent. So if Maggard comes through and puts a nice game for us on the 21st, you never know what that next week is going to hold. I think. Breaking news here. You heard it here first. Just telling you. Whatever the Texas state line is, whatever it is, take the points. I'm telling you. This is why. Texas State off a bye. We're there. They have, I mean, we've owned them for their entire existence. They're not any good, but they have overhauled that program with Spavadol over the last two years. They're going to be able to score. I'm sure their defense will be putrid, but... If our kids go in there thinking, oh, it's just Texas State, I'm taking the points. I'm just saying. That game worries me just a little bit. I don't know if we'll lose, but I think it makes me nervous. What do you think, Chris? I mean, we'll see. Uh, I remember Texas State, we tend to lay an egg uh, uh, as that game progressed along when we were playing the same market. Yeah, because we've been kicking our ass for a decade. And I remember looking back at the scoreboard, and say, oh man, it's, it's a tie game. Uh, I mean, Texas State is back in this, and we had to pull a you know what out of our arse and and just had to uh, finally separate ourselves from Texas State. We'll see how that goes, but you know, there's a lot of factors that are going to be going to play in before then. You got, you got sure. the uh, injury bug that may hit us or Texas State. 
we'll see. We'll, we'll see as, as the season progresses. But I don't trust really any of these teams on schedule. I mean, you could trust several of them. They're going to be uh, they're set in stone. But the Missouri game, uh, I mean, like we talked about earlier, one of these games could be moved to an open slate. Right. One of these conference games, it could all tend to sort itself out. So there, there's going to be a lot of shuffling across the board in the, in, in the days to come. So it's hard to really get a gauge on the schedule. You know, you ask me to look at it and try to figure out, because I put so much emphasis on who we played the week after and the week before. And all that is just, uh, it, it's just uh, uh, you know, just reliable to change. Uh, in the next couple of days. So we'll, we'll see once everything sorts itself out. Chris, we appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, obviously your insight being in, in the booth with, with the Jaybird is something that, uh, you know, I, I know the fans always appreciate and we definitely appreciate. And um, Chris Lionel's voice sounds like football to me. Yeah, no. It, any, anytime Chris Lionel's on the pod, it, it's football season for sure. Absolutely. I appreciate that, guys. I'm glad you had you had me, and uh, I just want to say I really appreciate what you guys are doing. I, I think if we had more guys like you across the Cadiana, we'd be in a much better place. I appreciate the enthusiasm you guys bring. Anything I can do to try to help you guys, you know, I'm only a phone call away, and uh, we'll try to get we'll try to really get this ball rolling with Rickham Review. I think it's very promising, and uh, I, I've got friends that talk about it, so. You know, keep doing what y'all are doing. It's going to continue to grow. And I'm not going to break the news for y'all. I'm going to allow y'all to do it. And I know y'all got a big guest coming up in the upcoming days. Cut away. exciting. I, Cut away. I can't, I, I can't wait to hear it. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to let you guys uh, break it. But I can't wait to hear it. And I'm sure others around KDN are going to definitely be tuning in. a uh, big name. And credit to you guys for getting that guy on. But I'll just leave it at that. I appreciate it. You guys have a good night. Right, Chris, you're the man, bro. Man. There he goes, Chris Lano, color analyst for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Josh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? What a stand-up guy. That, that oh, I love was. Chris. I, I always have. That's uh, great content, man. That's great content. Uh, ever since he walked in, when, when he got the job doing the color analyst, I was actually working part-time at 1420. Yeah. And from the first conversation I held with him, I was like, I'm going to love having this guy around. Yeah, well, I got to know Chris when I went, like we kind of mentioned uh, that App State trip, and we had to bus up there back and forth. And him and uh, Cody and I, Jay, uh, we had a great time just, you know, shooting the shit, having a good time, talking ball, uh, being involved with those guys was just a whole lot of fun. And uh, what I said is, is no shit, dude. We're in the booth, and Chris and I, he's got the headset on, and he can't say anything because if he cusses on Learfield, you know, it's a right. problem. He's fired. But we're jumping up and down, and he's, like, kicking the table, and we're like, oh, God, you got to catch that. It was Jacques, I believe, that dropped the, the This past year? No, the the away game at App last... 2018. Yes. Okay. The away game. Because Jacques dropped a pick the weeknight game this year. I thought it was Farad. No, that was the championship game. Yeah, yeah. Farad dropped the ball in the championship game. No, and, and here here at home it was Jacques. Okay, so that and was, App State was deep, like inside our twenty. And Jacques had McCaskill. Yeah. It was McCaskill that dropped the pick. So McCaskill drops the pick, and you have to understand the way that our angle was, it looked like he grabs it. 
So Chris and I jump out of our seats. Jay's like, shut the F up. Right. We, we're jumping around, and then we saw the ball hit right by his feet. And Chris pulls his headsets off, and he's like, F, S, F. And I'm doing the same thing, and I'm hollering inside of my shirt, like, son of a, you know, the whole deal. Right. Listen, guys, Chris is a fan. Jay's a fan. I'm a fan. We, you know, those are the kind of guys, I understand it's a little unprofessional to say the we thing and the I thing and the us thing. It is personal. We're homers. We've been, listen, we've been terrible for a hundred years. We're finally good for a few years. You got to let us revel in it a little bit. Right. And I loved hanging out with Chris and and, and talking ball like that. It's awesome. Going back to that Jacques pick, like I said, App State was deep. Like, I want to say inside the 20. It yeah. was early in the game. They're knocking on the door. Yeah. And when I tell you, had Jacques caught that ball, he's gone. Oh, yeah. So, man, 85 yards the other way. You'll remember this, and you'll laugh when I say it, but <laughs> two days before the drop pick on the first pass from Zach Thomas, right? Razor and Review, a.k.a. Razor and Cajun Army, had a- just a- done a- me. an absolute... Last job on Zach Thomas and their fans. Were oh wait, that pissed. was you. That was me. Fans were pissed. I'm doing the whole, you know, Zach is he's good, but he's he's high. overrated. He's, he's overrated. I so the very is, first, but so whatever. The very first pass, we we drop a pick and listen. I would have been the most insufferable human being in collegiate sports had <laughs> McCaskill caught that ball and scored. Because I'm telling you, it was wide open. Just like Farad was wide open for the score. I mean, these are these listen. These are season changing plays, and I love all you guys, Farad. If you're listening, brother, I know you're gonna catch the next one. Uh, these are season changing plays. These are like you know, for Billy Napier, maybe Billy's not here this year because we go on to do huge things, and it, it was a whole lot of fun to get to know Chris, and it was awesome that he joined us on the pod. And I, I can't say thank you enough. Um, Speaking of saying thank you, to switch gears a bit, really want to say, I don't even know what to say. The gratitude is just overflowing. Uh, We have a few sponsors that have signed on the dotted line, and I want to mention them. Uh, They are under contract as of the first of this month. Before you you mention, you don't know what to say. Yeah, I'm the one that started this dang thing. Go ahead, Matt. No, I mean I, I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you mention the sponsors, but man, just well, let me let me say this: when we started doing this together, you've been doing it for longer than I. I was asked to come on and just somehow decided, or Matt decided to keep me around. I filled a role. I'm just a role. Uh, I, I was given a, a a duty and a job, and I went out and I tried to do that to the best of my ability. Um, the result of that role and those efforts have been sponsors decided to believe in us and give us a chance and we can't say that we'd be anywhere close to this you know this agreement or this level of footprint without our listeners without the sponsors without the people that believed in the podcast and love the content guys uh, like chris lana guys like chris lana who, who rides for the pod all the time i mean he said it on the pod tonight uh, you know, guys from the forum, guys from Rage and Pageant, guys from Twitter that just love the, the things that we talk about on social platforms. I mean, it's taken all kinds. It, it takes a village, right, guys? And, man, we were just humbled. I'm humbled. I, I can't think of another word. Uh, it's been incredible to see the growth. The growth from last football season, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
we're, we're hitting numbers that were just absurd. It, we couldn't even believe it. It was a, a wave of, of, at some point, we were like, oh, my God, we're in over our head. People care about what we say. Right. You know? So it was we're, great. We actually have to censor ourselves yeah, because people yeah. are actually listening. we got to shut Matt the hell up. I'm talking about me. Uh, so so anyway, we, we, we really want to say thanks. Uh, please continue to do everything you're doing. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to your grandparents, whatever it is. We want everybody listening to the Rage and Review pod, and uh, you guys went out and and you donated to the review, the Rage and Review equipment uh, GoFundMe page, which we're using all of that equipment to bring you this excellent episode, in my opinion. Uh, so thank you very much. Couldn't be done without you guys and your generosity. Um, like I like I mentioned a few minutes ago, the sponsors uh, on the dotted line. Russo Exploration, welcome aboard. Priority Access Urgent Care, opening October, excuse me, August the 19th, in which we'll be doing a live broadcast from their yes, opening. Yes, sir. Welcome aboard. You know, it almost felt like signing day. It was like National Signing Day when yes, these guys started absolutely. sending in the contracts and making their commitments. I, I was having a blast. And, and you uh, know, there, there's more... Behind the scenes. There's more. There's more. Uh, PSC supply and hardware is on the books. We're just uh, we're finalizing everything. And there are other names that I can't quite mention because of contractual obligations. But Matt's looking at me like I'm, I'm screwing this up. What I do? Uh, I, I just I want to say the big one. But... Oh, uh, the big one is the big one is what it is. Uh, technically haven't signed, but it's been <laughs> we've had a couple of days where the verbally committed to. Hey, listen. Huge, huge, huge uh, sponsor coming, and we will announce that. We're going to display their logo everywhere that we can, and, and we love that they took a chance on us. And I mean, what can you say? It's uh, it's difficult to put into words. We're thrilled. We're humbled. Uh, and, and on the back end of all those things, guys, tomorrow we're going to be recording a very special podcast. It's going to be the podcast that's really going to put this thing on the map. Um, we've done it for you all. We have done it to push the brand. We have done it because we love to do it. We love the team. We love what the team and the success of this university means to Lafayette and the Acadiana region. It's very, very important to us. I hope you guys never lose sight of that. And, you know, we we weren't going to say anything. We were going to keep it under wraps. We're not going to judge Chris, but Chris let the egg out of the basket. Yeah. It's fine. It's it's big. It's going to be recruited. And once it's... Recruited. It's going to be recorded. Once it's set in stone, we're gonna tease it all over everywhere. So shall we? Shall we say? I, I would prefer to leave them hanging. I'll Ooh. be honest. Let's leave them hanging. You will find out very soon, within 24 hours, I would say, of this release. Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, you guys have been outstanding. It's been fun to see the growth of, you know, and and I I gotta know that Matt is just over the moon about everything that's going on because he's put so much sweat equity into this thing. Um, I respect him a whole ton for even having the, the dream of, of making it happen. I'm, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how thrilled I am. And you know, I don't want anybody in Cajun nation to judge me for this, but when we found out about this guest this morning and we found out about all the sponsors that have been trickling in, I kid you not. I sat in my bedroom this morning and cried. I cried because just from where it started to where we are now, I, I, I have no words. It's only going to get better. We're only going to push to get better. We are committed. 
uh, to making this podcast something that Acadiana can be proud of, and we're going to push it as far as we can go. Um, that's all I have to say on that front. I would like to say a few things about DJ Looney before we go. Uh, I didn't have the personal relationship that a lot of our friends had with DJ, but I had a few interactions with him, and I never uh, remembered the things that DJ said to me, but I always remembered how he made me feel, and he is the poster child for that old saying, is that you know people never remember what you say, but they always, always remember how you made them feel, and I have tried to take that to heart in my adult life. Uh, DJ Looney was something that was larger than football. He was larger than college football. He was larger than, you know, getting an education at a university. And we are diehard sports fans. I, I am the most bullheaded of them. But I will say this. I have gotten older. And when you have children, you have a little life expect, or experience. You understand that football is a vehicle. Uh, collegiate athletics is a vehicle. What you do with your time and the impact that you have on lives is what matters uh, above all else. And I, I hope that somebody out there is listening and that clicks because it took me too long to figure that out. Um, I was texting back and forth with Coach Rob Sale today, and uh, he, he pointed me in the direction of this uh, Athens Banner Herald story. And I want to read a quote because it really made me stop think, reflect. You know, DJ Looney was exactly what we need in sports. It's the, it's the kind of man that raises our kids and, and raises our neighbors. And this is, these are the kind of folks that I want to be associated with. And when we make comments like we did last week on the glue of the coaching staff that maybe some people don't even realize, DJ Looney was that. And this was a quote from that article from Coach Rob Sale. And the context is when Rob got to Louisiana and, and made uh, more of a relationship with DJ Looney. This is a quote. I've learned more from him about relationships, how to treat players, the bigger picture. For the first five or six months, I didn't know if he was the counselor, the financial aid, or the offensive line coach. Players would just go in there and talk to him. It was awesome to see and watch. Now, listen, I can read to you 15 other quotes from this article. That quote stuck with me. That quote tells me what kind of a man DJ Looney was. DJ Looney was a, 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 a rearer of young men. We need more of that in our program. We need more of that in our society. Such a, a, a void of, of men that know how to raise men. And DJ Looney did that. Not only did he do it, he did it with a smile. He left people feeling good about themselves. And if I can leave you guys with anything tonight, it is be like Looney. Leave people feeling good about themselves. And, and that's all I have on DJ. I mean, yeah, you know, what a loss. I, um, I had a couple of encounters with, with Coach Looney, and, you know, mine were on the field pregame. And... You know, he'd come out of the tunnel, and I'd be standing there by the tunnel getting things ready for the game. And he just approached a conversation with me, who, let's be honest, in the grand scheme of things on that football field, I'm a nobody. He approached that conversation with me with the utmost respect, the utmost enthusiasm, like just just a hell of a guy. 
Um, and you know, I know I know Cajun Nation is is hurting sorely over over this loss as well as the college football nation as as a whole. Because like Chris said, you know, all the all the stops that that Coach Looney had in his career, Mississippi State, Central Arkansas, you know, the list goes on. Steve, Georgia, Georgia, you know, like like he said, just the list goes on and on. So yeah, definitely a huge huge loss for. For college football, and uh, Coach Looney will definitely be missed here in Lafayette. I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, DJ didn't have life insurance. Uh, a oh, lot yeah. of us don't at 30 years old, 31 right. years old. So please, please find his GoFundMe account. It's really going to be We'll share it to the Twitter page. Yeah, we will. We'll put it on all digital platforms. It's going to help his family. It's going to help a lot. Uh, you know, if you can give two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, whatever it is, you know, if you're moved to the point where you really want to help his family, this is the kind of man you honor with a donation like that. Look up his GoFundMe. We'll link it to all the digital platforms, social media, what have you. We really need to help these people out. These are the kind of folks that we really want to lift up. These are the kind of folks that fit Acadiana. This, this is our, these are our people. So let's let's do what we do, Acadiana, and let's help them. Update on the GoFundMe. I just found it. The fifty thousand dollar goal. They have raised a grand total of $53,989. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, like, like we said, we will share it to our social media channels. Please give if you can. And Cajun Nation, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rage and Review. You can visit us at www.rageandreviewpod.com. And you can email us questions, comments, concerns, what have you, review at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our huge interview in the coming days, and until then, go Cajuns. Go Cajuns.